You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Kinsman Redeemer, Philip Edwards will be teaching about our amazing Kinsman Redeemer illustrated in Ruth. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to see all the latest news and the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. In this first part of this evening's lecture we're going to step away actually from the story of Ruth we'll come back in the second part Uh, we have to examine two features regarding the law and life uh, in ancient Israel if this is going to make sense to us the two things we have to look at is the thing called lever l-e-v-i-r and goel g-o-e-l lever It's a Latin word, Uh, it's translated from the Hebrew, it means brother-in-law. It concerns uh, the family duties of a brother-in-law. If his his brother had died, uh, not leaving any children, uh, the brother-in-law had to step in and take the place of his brother to be a husband to the widow. So that was called Libra marriage. So we're going to look at that in some depth. And the other thing, this Goel, Goel, it's about a near kinsman who acts as a redeemer. He he redeems either people or property. The, the word actually, the fundamental meaning is to protect, to protect. So a near kinsman, a blood relative then, who protects the family. These two fundamental institutions play a part in this whole story of Ruth. And for us to fully understand it and to grasp it and to grasp the the complete meaning of Ruth, we have to understand what these things are. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time explaining what these two things are, lever and goal, uh, and it'll make the story a lot more understandable and complete for us. The lever refers to Uh, an ancient marriage institution in which the in-law is involved. If a man dies without children, the name of the dead man is perpetuated through the widow's marriage with another member of the family. For example, the the man's brother-in-law normally, or her brother-in-law, the man's brother, she would normally marry him, or at least she would have a child by him if she didn't marry him. Sometimes it was the father-in-law. So we know of incidents in the Bible. I think there's two or three accounts of this leverit marriage. and uh, through it, what happens is the name of the the, the dead father is, is able to carry on. It carries on. So let me read to you what it says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. It says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside of the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son that she bears 
shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. It's about the name, the name of that family not being blotted out from Israel. The law could be described as a duty of love. So if a man marries and doesn't have any children, when he dies, as a sense in which he dies, he dies entirely. His whole name dies. The whole family dies with him. And of course, this mustn't happen. If you noticed in the text, it says his name will not be blotted out. It seems important that the name must continue. The name must continue. It mustn't be blotted out. His nearest kin then, the brother, must perform this what they called often an office of love in order to protect him from extinction, really. So his name had to carry on. The wife then, her object in life was to bear him a son. Now, it, uh, um, in our days of uh, the liberation of women, and I'm all for women being liberated, it, it sounds a bit awful that she's some sort of property of the husband and her duty is just to bear him a son because that was a primary duty which was to bear a son and in him then the whole family the name is resurrected if the father has died so she must be able to do her duty towards him and if if a man refused to do this it was a great insult and the the people would would turn against uh, a man that, that would do that the duties of the Levite in the story of Ruth is transferred from Naomi to Ruth because normally it would be Naomi that should have a Levite husband and she should bear a child so Elimelech's name carries on going through because she's too old to bear children and so Ruth now as the daughter-in-law she takes Naomi's place. This is why when uh, they hear about Boaz uh, and the fact that he can help her and he's a relative of hers, she's, she's actually delighted. She says he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Remember, we looked at the story how she accidentally met this man called Boaz. Uh, of course, it was no accident. It was the providence of God. And she's quite excited because he's a a kinsman he's a near relative so he can step in and do this thing of of marrying Ruth it was quite proper then for him to be expected to act as the lever for Ruth and make her a mother listen of a son for Elimelech she would provide a son as it were for Naomi's husband so his name would can it carry on and continue his name normally would have carried on through his two sons and they would have had children so the two sons have gone so now she has to produce a child for Elimelech but there's a twist in the story as there often is because God is working in the whole thing there is a nearer kinsman redeemer as we read last week or we'll find out that it wasn't Boaz's first place to step in as this kinsman, but it was another relative who was a lot closer. But as we read in the providence of God, this nearer relative 
he feels that he can't do this duty he can't fulfill it so this joyous responsibility then goes back to Boaz God working again we see behind the scene as we've said all the way through God isn't obvious God doesn't speak God doesn't speak through prophets or anything but everyone can see all the time the hand of God moving behind the scene so that's the Leverite the goal uh, amongst the people of God there was a strong sense of family solidarity the family would stick together remember we said it was more than a nuclear family of mum and dad and a few kids it was everyone related to them and sometimes families grew into hundreds and they formed the main structure of the nation of Israel it was all about clans uh, tribes rather and and then families within the tribe the family members then had a duty to care and protect each other it was actually written in the laws of Israel uh, there were certain situations that were defined by the law in the institution of the goal in ancient Israel in which the obligation had to be expressed in actions just remind you of a few of them if your brother it says became poor and sold part of his property then his next of kin had the responsibility to come and buy that property back for his brother so they would they would all gather round and they would make sure that property wasn't lost or land wasn't lost uh, we mentioned last night uh, last week rather the importance of land uh, the importance of the the name of the person the land and and god over it all and it all sort of went together fitted together in the covenant of god if in if the ne next of kin couldn't afford to to buy the land there wasn't anyone to do it then of course we know what would happen is that every jubilee every 50 years the land would revert back to its owner you weren't allowed to keep land more than the number of years when the year of jubilee came every 50 years the land would be automatically returned to the owner the, the second example is if your brother became poor so poor that he sold himself or sold members of his family into slavery a near relative would have to buy them back or uh, a near kinsman would have to pay for them to come back or if the person who was sold into slavery got sufficient money he could buy his family back and buy himself back and there was no way that that could be not allowed it, it had to happen so always it was the freeing up the protecting so the kinsman redeemer was this person who would always redeem always buy back in in way I'm explaining this you can almost see this is pointing towards Christ or God himself being a kinsman redeemer the third circumstance uh, and it's a little bit more serious it, about family solidarity is that of blood vengeance if somebody shared or killed a, a relative of yours it was your duty under law to go and kill that person or if you didn't kill the person you killed one of his family members it was the law you couldn't recompense 
for the death of a person. So you could recompense for the death of an animal, you could pay some money. But if a person was killed, then someone had to die. Because of the shedding of the blood, the person who shed the blood, their own blood, had to die. Blood which is shed in Israel, it was said, defiled the land in which God dwells and must be atoned for by the blood of him who shed it. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, because it was shed on God's land, then to atone for that shedding of blood, there must be uh, more blood shed. The, the fourth aspect of the, the goal, the, the protector, he would act, often act as a trustee. So where money had to be paid as recompense, he would act as a trustee in that situation to make sure it was all paid and done. If, if recompense was being made, but the person wasn't able to receive it, it would often go to the Lord and that meant it would be given to the priest. So that was the, the job of the goal. He was a protector. He was a redeemer. He, he, he brought things back into the order which God originally had. The Lord is the goal, the protector for Israel. In the book of Exodus, we read that Moses is the one who is to negotiate with Pharaoh for the release of the people of Israel from, from Egypt. It's Moses' job. And this is what God says to him. And listen for the, the language of the Kingsman Redeemer in this. Therefore, he says, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. He uses that word, I will redeem you. He will pay a redemptive price for you. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So we see has this, as the nation have got themselves into captivity, it is God who comes as like the kingsman redeemer to redeem them, to bring them out of slavery. So we see this pattern in Ruth is a pattern of God. It's a picture of God delivering his people. And of course, later we're going to see it's the picture of what Jesus has done for us because he is our kinsman redeemer. So the Lord then is Israel's kinsman redeemer. He's their Goel. Later we read in Isaiah 41 and 14, he says, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Jeremiah 50 and 34, yet their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Psalm 69:18 Come near and rescue me redeem me because of my foes 
And in Psalm 103 verse 4, who redeemed your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. So there's no question that God sees himself as a redeemer. God then is understood when you see Boaz, you see a type of God. In When you see Jesus, you see God. When you see Boaz, you see God. God is is understood then as a sort of a God who stands by the oppressed, who calls a people to be his own people by rescuing them from slavery, who with his mighty arm liberates the captives and offers them a new freedom and hope. So we can see why God has all these laws about his nation because his nation is simply a reflection of him the way he works his attitudes so this is the character which is to be seen also in the kingsman redeemer of israel god himself the one who by his actions on behalf of those in need is demonstrating within family relationships something of the character of their covenant God. Redemption, the idea of something being redeemed, it always has a price attached to it. It comes at a price. It costs something. Redemption always costs. It's to do with uh, the redemption of the human and in, in a human in need. But like I said, it carries with it a price. This implies the idea of not only effort by the Redeemer to do something, to act, the Redeemer has to act, but also a price has to be paid. A price to get someone out of slavery, a price to get the land back. There's always a price involved on the part of the Redeemer for the kinsman. In the passage in which the Lord is referred to as the Goel, or the Redeemer, there often implies of a a costliness of redemption. Let me read what Isaiah says. What cost did, did God pay to redeem Israel? It says, burst into joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. So the cost that is implied is the Lord moving with great might uh, to, to expose his holy arm is for the arm of God with force to come and do what he needs to do. That's the price that he pays. He didn't pay anything to Egypt for God, for the, the people of God, the Israelites, to be released because the, the Egyptians had stolen them. They, they didn't deserve to have anything paid in that sense or any money or to redeem them uh, as, as normally as we saw in, 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 the, in the case with Boaz or the, the sense of redeeming something. But by his mighty arm and strength, it cost him his strength. The force may be representative not only by the strength of his arm, but by 
the love that he spent on his people or the self-sacrifice that he made to redeem his people. One of the purposes then of the, the book of Ruth is to expand the meaning of redemption. We know that we have been redeemed. We know that a price has been paid for us. And what this story does, it helps us to understand more about what redemption is. In the actions of Boaz as a Goel, we see the foreshadowing saving work of Jesus Christ himself. Just as Boaz had the right of redemption and yet was under no obligation to redeem Ruth, he wasn't the nearest kinsman. He didn't have to do it. The other man was duty-bound to do it because he wanted Ruth to be his wife. So under no obligation to intervene in Ruth, Jesus had no obligation to intervene for us. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one who has paid the price for us. He didn't have to pay a price. But Boaz, seeing the plight of the poor widows, he came to their rescue. He came to their rescue because he was governed by the Lord and also he was governed by the law. Boaz had to step in because the law of God demanded it, because the Lord required it. So Boaz was duty-bound because he was bound to the law and bound to the Lord. So also the Messiah would be governed by the law of God and also by the, the Lord God himself, so Jesus had to step in as well. He didn't have a choice, as it were. He had to just you know, deal justly, as it were, with the poor and with the oppressed. Just as Boaz, to follow God and his laws, had to step in and to save these widows, so the Lord Jesus Christ, he had to step in as well as a kinsman redeemer for us. Christ then is our kinsman redeemer. He pays the redemptive price that is demanded. Of course, the redemptive price for us is his own life. There could be no other price. If he was to fully associate himself with us in our position under the control of sin and death, he had to pay with his own life. Who did he pay to? If he is our redeemer, who did he pay the redemptive price to? Now, some might suggest to you that he would he paid the redemptive price to Satan. That's not true. Just in the same way that God did not pay a redemptive price to Egypt because Egypt had captured them, stolen them illegally, as it were, Satan had also captured and stolen us illegally. So there was no payment as it were, to, to Satan himself. Nothing was paid to Satan for our redemption, but God exerted his divine might, his great love, and his total self-sacrifice. If, if anything was paid to anyone, Christ paid it to his Father for our redemption. He paid the Father 
that that which we could not pay because we had got ourselves into such a mess christ paid that for us christ then was our kinsman redeemer he rose from the dead bringing with him those with whom he had associated himself god's object in all of this is then that those god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that we might be the firstborn among many brothers just think about that we're now a family we he was the firstborn among many brothers we've been brought into a family a new family has been created by the intervention of our great kingsman redeemer see as boaz stepped into that situation with ruth they created a whole new family and as jesus stepped in as your kinsman redeemer and paid the price for you he has created a whole new family it is a type a type of jesus first a type of god and then a type of jesus christ himself we are adopted into god's family and so are children of god and fellow heirs with christ christ then is our goel like boaz to ruth is related to us able and willing to redeem so that explains something of what the kinsman redeemer is the goal the leverite so all of that is going on in this story of ruth and as you read it all that explanation helps you understand it and understand the purpose of the story and that is the explanation of redemption really and paying a ransom for us i'm going to ask danny now if you'll read chapter three to us uh, so dan if you do that then i'll continue the the lesson of chapter three yeah, great can everyone hear me okay perfect ruth chapter three one day ruth's mother-in-law naomi said to her my daughter i must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for now boaz with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor wash put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes then go down to the threshing floor but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking when he lies down note the place where he is lying then go and uncover his feet and lie down he will tell you what to do i will do whatever you say ruth answered so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had told her to do when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the blame pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, 
whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and she said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait my daughter until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today okay so we get to the very heart of the story now this is a lovely story isn't it chapter one was really all about naomi wasn't it how she left and came back and then chapter two it was where ruth meets boaz in the field that's really what it's all about the story now swings back to naomi um, it's about her concern for Ruth's welfare. She wants Ruth to marry again. She's already expressed this. Remember back in uh, in Moab, she said she wanted them to find husbands and to be able to have children. Back then, the prospect of marriage had been extremely remote because she wasn't going to leave Naomi she said no I'm I'm going to stick close to you I'll never leave you even after death I, I will never leave you so it was it was is is marriage ever going to happen for Ruth and now uh, she's met Boaz and of course uh, a change has taken place they've moved from despair to a place of hope and, and of course uh, Naomi is excited because she knows that Boaz is a close relative so there's a great hope of this Leverite marriage taking place so Naomi really um, she's a bit of a schemer here uh, she knows how things work where Ruth doesn't and see she's gonna get involved as it were I hope you've never done any of this matchmaking stuff you know where you just put a word in here or just invite somebody there or just say a thing here you know well maybe some people need a bit of encouragement uh, a bit of um, you know shepherding into a right relationship maybe from time to time anyway Naomi saw the way forward she would arrange for Ruth to meet him and ask him to act as her lever you think well that's pretty bold well when you think of what things were like in Bible times it's almost like the woman couldn't be as forward as that well um, Naomi didn't think that and she thought with the right encouragement and the right word perhaps we could swing this one I think she thought like that never spoke in those terms so he was their near kinsman 
they would ask him or she would get Ruth to ask him to help and protect them. Remember, that's what the, the goal was. He was the protector, protector of these widows. Would he be willing to do the part of the next of kin by entering into Leverite marriage? I think he was getting on in years and he was probably a bachelor. This is what all the, the writers, I mean, we don't know that, but this is what is indicated. There doesn't seem to be any other wife or, or, or anyone else present. I mean, you could still um, marry again if you already had a wife. It was for, for the sake of Levi marriage, you could take this woman to, to be your wife as well. So she was wondering whether he would do it and whether he would be prepared to provide Ruth with a child. The time had come for careful preparation to that end. Naomi investigates. She does a little bit of detective work. She finds out what's going on here because she's got to arrange a meeting Behind the scenes, she's got to work all this thing out. She's got to set it up for Ruth. She finds that uh, it's coming to the end of the barley season. And of course, uh, what, what they would do, they would take the, the barley that they had collected and take it to a, a place they called the, the threshing floor. It was on the outskirts of the town and it was, it was a high piece of land that was relatively flat. So the farmers in turn would take their, their barley or their wheat harvest to this field, uh, this high piece of ground rather, and the animals would, would trample on it or they would beat it with sticks. So they would separate the, the seed, as it were, from, from, from the stalks. And then what they would do, because it was the high land and the wind would come up from the sea, maybe late afternoon and evening, they would they would winnow flow throw all the seed in the air because all the chaff would blow away and they would be left with the seed well it was that was what was happening and she knew at the time of of harvest they all the men would gather they would do this work then they would have a big meal together and then they would probably sleep there um, you know protecting uh, their barley uh, and then uh, that that was it so she knew exactly what she had to do. Ruth washed herself, it says. She anointed herself and she put a covering over herself so that people wouldn't recognize who she was. She was preparing herself as a bride prepares herself for marriage. Naomi is preparing her and she's making it very clear that she must ask Boaz if he will marry her. Then Ruth is to go down to the threshing floor and wait until Boaz has eaten and finished his work and, and then lays down uh, to sleep. She says, be careful that no one recognizes you or notices you or sees you. You mustn't be seen, but you watch and you watch carefully where he uh, goes to sleep and where he lays down. So everything is prepared. The place, the way of approach, 
the timing, it's all set. It's all geared, as it were, that Ruth can come now and ask for Leverite marriage. Obediently, Ruth follows everything that Naomi, her mother-in-law, tells her to do. What motivated Ruth? Was it simply her committed loyalty? Remember that verse we read where she really committed herself and said, I will never leave you. Where you go, I will go. And where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. She's going now beyond that commitment, but it is a commitment she has to to Naomi to be obedient to her, to be faithful to her. As Boaz later remarks, he says this, there may well have been much more attractive younger men available to Ruth than this old bachelor had she chosen to go after them. So he doesn't deceive himself. He sees himself as mm, there's there's better men that she could have chosen, but but for some reason this woman is is choosing me. I suggest to you that Ruth um, Ruth has come to learn how important it is not only to Naomi but also to God how important a husband's inheritance and a male heir is to the people of God at this time how important the inheritance is of Elimelech and Marlon how important that they have a son remember Ruth's commitment is to Naomi she loves her she really loves her i asked the question did she really love boaz oh you say philip don't destroy this romantic story it was so lovely well i read through the whole book again there's only the word love mentioned once it is a love story and it's only mentioned once and it talks about ruth's love for Naomi it doesn't talk about Ruth's love for Boaz see she was really committed to Naomi this woman who led her to God led her to a place of faith in the one true God she honored her she loved her she saw how it was it so important for her to have the name of her husband eliminate continue so she was prepared to do this now I'm not saying she didn't love him uh, there's nothing in scripture that indicates that she did but it definitely indicates she loved and committed herself to her mother-in-law very interesting Ruth she knows you know that Naomi is too old to have children and Oprah has already gone back to Moab so the important duty of producing an heir a son for Elimelech it falls to her see our duty to God is more important than many other things in our lives usually we consider how we feel about things and whether we really want to do it but we should think what does God want 
What's, what is it in God's agenda? What does God want? She wanted a, a husband, I'm sure, and she wanted children. I believe that without a doubt, but she could have gone for a younger man and still found a husband and still had children, but she settled for this man because this is what Naomi wanted for her. She knows that she is now part of a covenant family. The covenant family of God. And she's willing to take her part in the Leverite custom for the Lord's sake. This is the Lord's will. She's doing it for the Lord's sake and for that of the inheritance of one of his people. She's doing the right thing that the Lord requires of her, not what she feels or what she wants. So harvest time, um, feasting time. Like I said, the, the feast is over and after the feast and the party, and I'm sure they've had some things to drink, Boaz, he lays down to sleep. Observed as yet by unrecognized Ruth. Ruth is there somewhere. She's looking to see where Boaz sleeps. When he's asleep, she creeps up and she lays at his feet, indicating her humility, of which is something that she's demonstrated all the way through this story as we read the things that she says and does. She lays there, we don't know how long, maybe an hour or more, time passes. Then in the middle of the night, it says, Boaz is startled. I wonder who startled him. I don't think it was Ruth. I don't think she was, she thumped him on the, the arm or leg or anything. I don't think she woke him up. I think God was there again. God was uh, intervening. He turns and discovers a woman lying at his feet. Can you imagine the tense whispers? <gasps> What's going on here? You know, who are you? He says, who are you? And what do you want? Ruth then makes herself known. It, with a characteristic humility of Ruth. She says, I am your servant, Ruth. But why was she there? She then asks her crucial question. Now, this should only happen on leap year, I know. But anyway, she, she launches into this without a shadow of a doubt. Listen to what she says. Will you spread, she says, the corner of your garment over me? since you are a kinsman redeemer. Was she saying, in other words, will you marry me? Will you take me as your Leverite wife? Will you give me a child so I can continue the name of Elimelech? This was a, a delicate but a direct request for marriage and nothing less. The spreading of the corner of a garment, this is this is interesting. It refers to a passage from Ezekiel in which, which God does the same thing for Jerusalem. Let me read it to you. It's in Ezekiel 16 and 8. It says, God speaking, he says, Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and I saw that you were old enough to love, he's talking about Israel, 
I spread the corner of my garment over you and I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solid oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. It's a picture, you see, it's a picture again of the Lord and what the Lord is doing. The Lord, he covered Israel and Jesus, he covers us. He takes us in. Boaz certainly understood Ruth's request. He knew exactly what she was talking about. He knew that she desired marriage with him. And as we can gather from his response, let's read it together here. This kindness, he says, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do what you ask of me. Fantastic, isn't it? So Boaz is gracious. He's only too keen uh, to to take this uh, beautiful young woman and to uh, to be a Leverite husband for her. As I say, he's he's gracious not only in his response but in other ways. He says, "You're not to go home in the middle of the night." Uh, maybe he's concerned that something might happen to her. But at the same time, he's very uh, sensitive to the fact that if she stays there, people might start talking and whispering, saying things. So he says, probably what you need to do before the sun comes up, you need to leave. And so she goes and also he gives her again a large gift of of barley for herself and for her mother in law Naomi confirming his goodwill to both the women. The grace, the grace of the Redeemer. In this story, we've come to understand more clearly the providence of God, God working behind the scenes in our lives, God doing everything. It's interesting, you know, as I leave every morning uh, to to go to the school, I just take the things I need for school. Uh, I never take my notes with me to to school, Uh, the the notes I'm going to use this evening, uh, because I I look at them and I make, uh, you know, adjustments and changes of things. But for some reason this morning I picked them up and I thought I'll take them with me. I'll take them just in case I have some time just to look at them. And, and here I am. We never had a chance to go home. That's why Danny read the scriptures, because I haven't got my Bible with me. All I have was the notes. We have no other equipment, just that. So I've got to believe, you see, it's the providence of God. Never, never, I've been teaching every week for the 10 weeks I've been here. Never done that before. But this morning, I did it. How strange. Isn't God wonderful? And sometimes we just have to have that attentive ear. Uh, If you get a nudge and you don't know what it is, best to do it. Now, I could have brought the notes and nothing, but good thing I did, or I don't know, well, you wouldn't be sitting here tonight. You'd have to have a double portion next week or we would have extended it a week longer. It wouldn't have really hurt us or damaged us. But I just want to make the point about his providence. 
His overruling of events is fantastic in our lives. How there is a, a second story that's being written by and through the events of human choices and circumstances. See, I couldn't say God said to me. I couldn't have said that this morning, but I might say now, because as I look back, I say that's, that's the providence of God. God was whispering something to me. It was just a thought, an idea, a choice that I made, a circumstance. His special grace through the circumstances of suffering to the resources of his comfort from one extreme to the other. Remember we spoke about there was this dark side of God where there's lots of stuff that we suffer and, and there's no explanation. And then there's lots of good stuff as well. But God is the providential God working on both sides of this. And how God made adequate material provision through the generosity of others. Most of that generosity we know came from Boaz, her kinsman, redeemer. From the New Testament perspective, we can also see how much of God's gracious providence comes to us, linked to the person of Jesus Christ. Just as just as Boaz was her provider, Jesus Christ is our provider. He was her kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And it is in him that God set forth the purpose with the world to unite all things. God is working in all things that he might bring them together, both heaven and earth, bringing it together in Christ. Christ then is our kinsman redeemer. He brings with us or to us the forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his love. He calls us to be a member of his family, just like Boaz, entering with us into the pains of our suffering and bearing them with us like Boaz, entering into the life of Ruth, encouraging us to trust the Father in heaven, to give us our daily bread, and ultimately welcoming us to the wedding banquet with his son. Before we finish, I need to say something about law and love. There is a tendency amongst Christians to, to polarise law and love. It's as though law is thought to be the characteristic of the Old Testament. Oh, that's all about the law. God was just a lawmaker and God was punishing people. And, and, all, and, and then somehow in the New Testament, we get this radical new proclamation that God is love. Well, he can't change... If he's a God of love in the New Testament, he has to be a God of love in the Old Testament. It's just you're reading it wrong. <laughs> now, I've been a bit cheeky here. God can't change. He can't be just a legalistic God in the Old and this wonderful loving Father in the New. Let me tell you, he's a wonderful loving Father, both in the Old and in the New. He cannot change. It's impossible 
for God to change. So no such polarity exists. In fact, it is the Old Testament that says that we are to love God and we're to love our neighbour as ourselves and that all the teaching of the law and the prophets hangs on these two things. We are to love God, we're to love our neighbour and everything you read and when it talks about the law and the prophets it's saying that's the whole whole testament. You've either got the five books of the law or the books of the prophets so the whole of the Old Testament hangs on the fact that we love God and love our neighbour and that God loves us. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus reiterates that in Matthew 22, 37 and 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In the book of Ruth, Boaz is a law-abiding person. He's living under the law of God. He loves to keep the law of God. For him, the law, it gives him guidance in living as a person within the covenant family of God. That's what the law does. It keeps you loving. It keeps you in loving relationships. Every law that God wrote was about keeping us in these loving relationships with him and with one another. Law then, for Boaz, is fatherly instruction from God. It's not a moralistic uh, legal code that he has to follow. God's law is guidance in loving. Remember when Jesus comes, he told his hearers that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He is not understanding it in terms of a legalistic code. He understands the law as God's loving guidance and gives particular illustrations of the meaning of loving obedience. Of course, Jesus kept the law. It, it wasn't hard for him to keep the law because by keeping the law, that's how he kept loving. It's when we break the law that we stop loving. The laws of God are to keep us loving. Now you say, are there still laws? Well, of course there are laws. There are laws that govern our life but they are the loving guidance and protection that God wants to offer us that we keep maintaining loving relationships with him and with one another. Some people say, well, just Christianity is just all about loving people. That's all it is. It, it's nothing else. No, no. If, if it's just love, we rob ourselves of the content of the Bible. So much of it is about the law as well as the love. It can be used, you know, this idea of just, it's just, you just have to love. It can be used as a cover for all sorts of behavior that seems good, 
and feels good. Oh, uh, I just, I, I, I had this impression that I shouldn't be married to my wife anymore and God wanted to me to, to marry this other woman uh, because we love each other and, and we don't love each other. And see, love is nonsense if it's like that. No, I'm sorry, there are some laws. There's love and there's laws. And the laws keep us loving. They keep us loving. There is no guard against sinful self-indulgence or plain stupidity, apart from the law of God. It's the law of God that keeps us on track. It isn't love that keeps you on track. Love will get you into a right mess half the time. It's the law of God. Of course, we want you to love, but love within the law of God. But then if you just concentrate on the law alone, outside of a covenant context of redemption and grace, soon law becomes legalism. Morality becomes moralism. And the liberty of faith becomes the struggle to keep the rules. God never wants us to struggle to keep the rules. He wants us to live and to walk by faith. And Jesus has come to set us free, free to love, free, free to follow the rules because our hearts love the Lord, our God. And in that freedom, we can enjoy love the way that God intended it. God bless you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to come on back next week for our last lesson in the Ruth module. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so by going onto our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation to us. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.